We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Pat Mayo here. It's time for another CoronaCast with Davis Maddox. So smash the like button for the episode. And, hmm, what's something that I can do in terms of a giveaway? I don't have a giveaway. Just say something nice in the comment section. That'd make me feel good. Subscribe to Mayo Media Network. And I'm doing a giveaway draw for the British Open. If you rate, review, and subscribe the Pat Mayo Experience on Apple Podcasts, five stars, something you like about the show, leave your Twitter handle or your email address so I can contact you. You're in a cash giveaway, so it takes you like 20 seconds to do, uh, and you can win like 200 bucks. So do that. It would really help us out. So I enjoy these conversations with Davis. We talk about moving to the suburbs, the new hosting job at Mayo Media Network, projections in football, uh, a new stats and tool site called runthesims.com, NFL best ball sponsorship deals on podcasts and for multimedia content my new golf swing and people being mean to me on the internet that's always fun times uh but it's a pretty enjoyable show it's a, it's a back and forth it's a conversation if you hit the time codes you can find everything down there if there's something that appeals to you more than anything else but if you do want a job at mayo media network i recommend that you check out that part because submissions are due on july 10th and it will take you less than five minutes to do if you actually want to enter so enjoy the show <laughs> All right, everyone, welcoming in Pat to the show, or if you're listening on the PME, he's welcoming me into the show after his introduction. Uh, as always, love, love to talk to Pat. We haven't caught up now. When was the last time we did one of these? Like two months ago, maybe? Yeah, uh, but yeah. Maybe a little less, maybe like six weeks ago or so. I listened to your show with Levitan, and I was like, oh, I'm doing like exactly the same thing right now. Yeah, you are. You're headed. You're headed across the country. You're moving away from uh, from the city, from everything you could want within 60 seconds of your door to uh, to the, the burbs. Are you how, how excited are you? It's been a bit of a I've been here for two months now, so it's a little bit of an adjustment, okay. but. The, the one thing is it's, like, it's not really moving to the burbs. Like I just moved to a smaller city, but because I moved to a smaller city, I could still buy a house in town. So I'm really only like 
10 minutes, like a 10 minute drive from downtown, downtown, but it still has the same sort of suburban elements where I could walk to the store, but you know, it would be a little bit of a hike. It's not like before where I could walk out my front door, be at a convenience store in 45 seconds, be at a supermarket in two minutes kind of thing. Like I do have to drive almost everywhere here, but I'm still basically in the heart of the city, which is really nice. I mean, I I guess maybe it's because I've lived in suburban style places for the long time. I guess for a year in Kansas City, I lived in the city city and I could go walk to wherever I could walk to the corner store or the grocery store or whatever. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I just don't mind hopping in the car and driving five minutes like that. Just it just doesn't bother me to do that. I, I think maybe that's even you, you kind of get this feeling of like privacy and seclusion when that is the case. A little bit. Like, that's what I grew up doing because I'm from, like, I I grew up in the suburbs and then I moved downtown in one city, downtown in another city, downtown in another city, and now I'm back. Uh, Not exactly where I grew up, but in the same city, just in a different part. So it didn't take a lot to get back into the swing of things, but when we moved back, we only had the one car. And, like, we, we never had a, we didn't have a car for years up in Toronto. We only got one when our son was born, so, you know, it wouldn't be a hassle taking him to the doctor and things like that. But now we have to have two cars because we experimented for about six, seven weeks, and there was just so much, like, oh, I need to go to this. It's like, oh, no, like, I have to take the, I have to go pick up the kids. Like, oh, so, so I can't go do this right. now? So the expenses are add up in a different way. <laughs> They do. Uh, so we have we have two cars as well, but my car only ever gets used when my girlfriend is not around because my car is is old. It's junk. I've had it for so long. Like basically, the only the time I would drive it is when she is at work and I want to go to the golf course or I want to go to the gym. That's like that's like basically the only purpose that my car serves. I would love I would love to get rid of it and just not just not have to you know pay the property tax on it or anything, but. You know, you you got you got to you got to have the grocery getter, I suppose. Yeah, and just being able to get around and do things that I want, like, um, oh, I mean, I, I can kind of throw this out here now because I take possession next week. But I bought a HQ for Mayo Media Network, so that closes amazing in a week's time. So I'm looking forward to that. So just working not out of my home anymore, I'll need to be gone a whole lot. So having the two cars is going to be essential because I'll need one to get there, and my wife will need one when I'm gone to take the kids to things, go do whatever she wants to do throughout the course of the day. And that just really would have been a hassle. But the big thing is, did, did you see my announcement that I'm hiring at Mayo Media Network? We, that's the last thing I think that we talked about on this show is that I'm giving away a job for at least one job to be a host on the channel, talking fantasy football and gambling on football. Yeah, I, so I knew that you were in the process of trying to, to find some people. Uh, I can only imagine the the disparate arrays of applications that you are getting like i'm sure some good ones some bad ones some hilariously bad ones and also how many people are just straight up not following the rules that you put out because this is always a big thing i've noticed with people online is they just they do not follow the basic instructions of the thing they're being prompted to do so i told everyone to keep it under five minutes the competition is still open by the way july 10th is the last day and essentially what i want to see you be able to do is do an intro do an extra because that's going to be important to hosting a show you'd be surprised show. how many people don't seem to understand that and i just want to see a hot take or two about season long about gambling about DraftKings. it doesn't need to be right but i need to i need to have a sense that you know what you're talking about 
uh, before we get into this. So I'm going to try to cull a short list. Matt Best is actually the one in charge of this because there's no fucking way that I'm going through. Like, we have 400 submissions already. And the people who, like I said, keep it to five minutes and under. And, like, if you go over five minutes, I'm not watching it because when it comes to something like this, it's not because a lot of people seem to get it twisted. It's like, oh, well, you know, I went over a three-week period last year. I was 20-3 and three against the spread. It's like, I really don't give a shit about how good of a gambler you are. Yeah, yeah, who cares? Yeah, like, that's a huge bonus if you're really good at this stuff. But I'm looking for someone for the purposes of doing content and doing a product. So if you're just sitting there being like, yeah, I picked the Patriots, and then like a really long pause... It's not going to be the best. I need someone to be somewhat conversational, somewhat entertaining, and be able to pass along information and some bit of strategy and be able to ask the right questions. So if that you can articulate that in under five minutes, which you should really be able to do if you actually know what you want to be doing with this. And I, I don't care if you have no experience. Like, we can see if you're good or not, even if you've never been on camera before. But just being able to follow simple instructions, like there's going to be instructions to the show that you have to host. If you can't follow the one to get the job, there's no way you're going to get it. Yeah, and and uh, so in, in your description of the job, that reminded me of basically the most common thing that I see is that people assume that the most important job of working in sports betting in working in fantasy football and working in, in content creation is being really good at fantasy football or being really good at sports betting. But like you said, it's mostly just a bonus, but most of the people you see who do this professionally, who do this full time have the job because one they're they are multi-talented. They can do multiple things. So whether it be, they can do audio, they can write, they can do backend things, right? So like they are self-sufficient in terms of like getting their content posted and things like that, but also they're good via audio. They're good on TV. Um, and they are like, they are, they are entertaining that, that actually tends to be the most important part of the job. I would think that anyone applying for a job on my channel, if they have any familiarity with me whatsoever, know that you don't need to be a successful gambler to talk about gambling. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you really don't need to be. And also I mean, really the big secret like, uh, is that there are just not that many successful gamblers. The, the market is not set up to uh, let so many people profit on sports betting. Like that's just not, it's just not really the way it works. Like it's very hard to consistently turn a profit betting sports. True. And if you're a good host and you're really good at betting, like you're essentially a unicorn. Like you already have a job. If you're good with media and you're good at gambling or good at DraftKings or really good at season long, like even high stakes fantasy football, like you're already employed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and to be honest, there are some high stakes fantasy people who are no good at content. Oh my they, God. they, they're, <laughs> They're just not able to translate their knowledge to enjoyable content. They just are, they're not good to listen to. They are, or, or, you know, even this is true. And I wonder what you think about this. Some people are just intuitively good at things and they are unable to intelligently explain why they're good at things. And I, I think that some people are like that for fantasy sports too. Like they figure it out, but they're just not intelligently able to describe it to other people. I think you would probably notice that at the very high end of most successful jobs across the spectrum, that some people, like you said, are inherently good at things. They have these natural skills and they can't quite articulate it properly. Like I remember being in calculus class with a guy who didn't really seem to grasp any of the 
fundamentals of what was going on. But if you threw an equation in front of him, he would just know how to figure it out. He couldn't really tell you how he could figure it out. Like he could track his work, but he's skipping steps here, skipping steps there, but he would find the right answer. I was like, how'd you do that? He's like, I I don't know. I just kind of went through it and it appeared on the page to me. Like some people just have that gift. And I, I noticed it a lot because I've been around at so many different sites now over the years and they, I mean, it used to be step one, you write or you write blurbs, then you write articles and you could be really good at this stuff and be like a pretty good writer. It's like, oh, well, this guy's a good writer. He must be good on a podcast or must be good on video. So they just get weird and they give all these writers like these podcast jobs and video jobs. And like, there's a reason that they're really good at writing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those skill sets do not always translate one-to-one. Um, like, I, I think I am a decent writer, but I think I'm probably better on shows. But I also, you know, went to college for writing. Like, I, I wrote all the time when I was in, when I was in college. But I, I actually assume most people are probably not good at both, that it's largely one or the other, like just because it's very hard to be good at both of those things. It is. It takes a certain skill set. Like I still fancy myself a writer, although I don't do a lot of writing. And that's, I mean, I'm one of those people that was primarily a writer, but at the same time, I went to broadcasting school to become a good broadcaster and learn a lot of this stuff. Although the quality of my writing over the past five years, now that I do video and audio every single day and don't write every single day, it's taken a precipitous drop off. It's just not as good anymore. And that bums me out. Yeah. I mean, writing, so, so right. I mean, writing is just more difficult to do writing. Well, it is more difficult than because for, for podcasting, you know, you and I can sit down and we can zone out and we can, talk with each other, be as engaged as possible, be as engaging as possible for 45 minutes. And it doesn't require, you know, going back. It doesn't require editing. It doesn't require, I, a lot of the times, you know, we, we don't even really have like a big thought out agenda for these conversations. We just kind of figure it out. And writing is more specific and, and yeah, it has to be more stylized too, or it's no good. True, but I would throw the example of this show out the window, though, because this is literally me just sending you a Zoom link and us just commencing talking. You do the, hey, hey, I'm talking to Pat right now, and then we kind of go. But this show, this wouldn't be a sustainable show every single day of the week kind of thing. Like, when when I do the golf show, I need to do my golf research and then talk about golf in a certain way. When I do football, it's a little bit different. Like, the research part is exactly the same. But even the way that I try to articulate football to my audience versus golf to my audience is completely different because I still try to take a really broad view on football because I think that net is so big that you always want to be welcoming in the people that have one work league season-long fantasy team. Their big thing is going to be their draft at the end of August. They're doing research. I always try to keep in the back of my mind, like that's the person that I really want to be talking to and then try to put the more complex stuff in a way that they if they don't quite understand it at first, it's not like completely foreign to them at the same time. Whereas with golf, I feel like if you were brand new to golf betting or golf fantasy, I'm essentially talking over your head now. I think that's true. I mean, I guess, so I think that if every piece of fantasy football content was for the guy who is in, you know, his work league, his league with his buddies, um, that, that would not like, there's obviously a huge market for that, but then there is also a a smaller but more ravenous market for the people like me who do, you know, 900 best ball drafts and are in all these dynasty leagues and et cetera, et cetera. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you obviously have almost perfected what you do for the fantasy football show that, that to me, I would not enjoy. I don't think doing that show every week. Like I get more, I get more passion and more enjoyment out of getting into like, you know, niche projecting the Philadelphia Eagles, like wide receiver rotation with Pat Corain. Like that brings more joy to me, even if it's obviously the guy with the one work league would fucking hate that. Yeah. And I think that you're, you're really boxing out a lot of your audience. Now, fortunately I run so many football shows during football season that like the me, Jeff and Tim show is a gambling show, but it's really just three people yelling at each other the entire time, but people can figure out the betting element of it. The DraftKings show that like I do with you and I do with Leone is a bit more like next level up, but it's not the most advanced DraftKings show that's going. Like, I'm not getting to the projection levels and things like that that you're getting to. I'm still trying to frame it in a way that it could be accessible even if you didn't really know that we were talking about, even if some of the concepts are a little high. But I really try to do catch myself when I'm talking to you and we're talking about certain things, or I'm talking to Leone like offline and we're texting back and forth about, you know, how do you construct a team this way? How do you construct a team this way? What do the projections meet out to this? I just don't feel like people want to hear that unless that's specifically what they're looking for. No, I think you're right. I think the the market is much wider for very, like still good but more generalized analysis of like playing time and, and, and also, I mean, you know, this, you, you've been in this industry for so long, people want the plays, they want the picks and they, and they also want to be entertained. They would like to be entertained and they also would like the picks. And, and those are mostly what people want. And a good nugget or two to repeat to their friends to make them sound like they really know what's going on. Oh, I mean, yeah, that is, that is huge, right? Like being able to be like, Oh, did you know X, Y, and Z. Like that is, that is a massive thing. Like the, 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 like the bar trivia of fantasy football. People love that stuff. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about developing a show for this year. Like I'm, I, I, I mean, there's a brand new fantasy football show coming out very, very soon. The graphics are almost done for it. And fuck, do they look good. Every show on my network now has better graphics than my show. So I, I really have to rectify that at some point because <laughs> I've had the same graphics for, four years but now that i have this new studio like i'm building out like a real studio now so i might get an updated graphics package when i once i release the new studio and get out of the temp that's currently in my basement so that's you know hopefully within the next two months but that's such on the back burner to me of like developing a new show is like and i'm gonna host one of the days of the week of the new show uh overzet's gonna be on that show so that's gonna be fun uh and then we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna hire a few people like i want to have like a different vibe every day of the week uh that goes along with it so that will be a lot of fun uh but in terms of my show i it just it's just funny that i've had the same basic graphics and all the new graphics are like extensions of mine like same sort of templates they're just newer so they're a bit flashier they're a bit more vibrant uh and you just forget like I was like, oh, my, mine could look better than this. But I, that that's actually one of, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and it kind of related to Conor McGregor in a weird way. That once you start getting more specialized, like the more I would, let's say, focus on my graphics package. And it's almost the same way as like my writing started to suffer once I started doing more multimedia, video and audio. And I felt felt like for a while that product was a bit diluted because I was doing all the graphics for the show, filling in the templates. I was doing all the editing for a show. This is before uh, I hired Paul to become on as my producer. And once I hired Paul, I felt like the show got 
really good all of a sudden because now I could just focus on doing the show. Now that I branched out a little bit and I'm running the network, like I'm doing ad sales, like I'm buying property, I'm meeting with the accountants and all this stuff. And I feel like it is taking away from the show a little bit. So I got to figure out how to reverse engineer that to alleviate some of the problems. And obviously the solution would be hire more people, but in turn, I would need to make more money first so I could pay those people because I wouldn't want a bunch of like dummies doing the job. I need to hire someone good and good people don't come cheap, uh, at least from my experience uh, with it, or at least if you have someone good and they know that they're good within a month, they're, they're going to want more money to stay and you're probably going to have to pay it to them. So a lot of that's been falling on me lately to organize all this stuff, to come up with scheduling that it's, I, I want to get back to focusing on the show and making it a little bit better. I feel like it's coming, it's becoming somewhat stagnant. That's why I like doing these shows with you and how it relates to Conor McGregor is, you know, when he was up and coming, he had something to prove and he was knocking dudes out left and right in the first round. But over the past five years, like he was the highest paid athlete on earth two years ago. He owns a whiskey brand. Like he has a legitimate personal brand. That's probably like if you were to sell his brand to someone else, someone would buy his brand. If they could just be Conor McGregor and take everything over for like five 500 million bucks like your priorities shift and it feels like as we've seen with him in the octagon or even in the ring fighting Mayweather that his priorities have slipped a little bit way away from fighting and I wonder how hard it is to re-harness that that's why I'm thinking about him going into this Poirier fight that you know if he wins like that means he put in the right camp and and maybe it's just a bad opponent for him maybe he's a bit washed or maybe he goes out and fucking smokes the guy I have no idea but it feels like the other stuff as a part of being Conor McGregor, plus all the weird shit that he's up to that is apparently okay now, uh, is has really affected his in-ring product. And I, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. This is a massive thing that I think impacts, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's impacting you, but I mean, I think that this impacts not just Conor McGregor. I mean, I think this impacts a lot of athletes when you go from being a guy to the guy uh, I, I, I remember, uh, this, this preseason, uh, one of the, one of the things for baseball that they were talking about was like Javi Baez ever since he became like a famous dude, he was on the cover of MLB, the show he was doing like music videos and things like he started sucking. And I mean, there are, uh, whatever you, you guys listening to this, everyone listening to this, you have a historical and you have a historical analogy to this in whatever sport you're into that when you stop doing the thing that you got famous for, or that is your job or whatever, when you stop doing it as much and you have to start doing the things around it, not only do you lose the ability, but you get a little bit further away from the, like the passion and the thing that drove you there in the first place. It sounds like to me, what you need, Pat, is you need, uh, a, you need a PA, like you need a, you need a personal assistant. Like you need someone and, and not even, not even just like a personal assistant, but maybe even like an actual manager. Cause it's gotta be someone that you trust. It's gotta be someone you can send to a meeting and know that they will make a decision based in the best interests of Mayo media network. And that you, you won't have to read over like a whole presentation basically from, from them. It would have to be someone you like actually trusted. Well, it's difficult in that sense uh, because, like, I i mean, I have Paul. Paul takes care of all the technical abilities with the show. So if we, right. if we need, like, cameras hooked up, we need editing done, we need a producer, Paul takes care of that. Matt Best is my, uh, you know, if Paul is my right-hand man, Matt Best is my left-hand man. He's the guy you need to woo, like I said, to get this hosting job at Mayo Media Network. But he's the one who's doing that. He's the one coordinating all of our short videos. Like, we've been running videos every single day for Wimbledon, every single day for Euro. 
he's coordinating like freelance producers and freelance hosts to be able to do that, making sure that they get paid on time, like taking that part off my plate. The issue is like when it comes to actual revenue generation for a content network, like that's all advertising. And that's yes. really all it can, it can be unless you're selling a premium product. But I really never wanted to sell like a content premium product. I always wanted it to be free because it was always my sense that the larger the larger you can cast a net, the better off you're going to be. That's I think we spoke about Patreon before. Like it's hard to grow a Patreon account if you don't have something to push towards that at the same time. Like you're inherently just alienating people who will never discover your product organically and maybe have a chance to like it. It's going to be very niche and it can be successful and it can be lower maintenance, but I want to shoot a little bit higher than that. So when it comes to advertising, all of the advertising kind of has to roll through me because I'm essentially leveraging all of the contacts I've made in this business over the past 12 years that other people just don't have. Even if I was to hire them and trusted the people, they don't have the wherewithal to go and speak to these guys. Like if I send Matt to go talk to X, Y, and Z, I mean, they might not return his email. They'll return mine most of the time, at least uh, in that sense, because I'm sure. the one personally sending it. So I, I, I feel the need to do that for right now until we can get bigger or go out of business. Those are kind of the two things. Well, yeah, I mean, and I guess maybe the, well, I mean, to that like specific niche problem, uh, you know, not, not returning the emails. I don't know. You are, you are right though, that everything surrounds, uh, everything is surrounded by advertising. I mean, I, I guess in terms of selling advertising, I have very little experience there. Like all of the stuff I have done is like individual, uh, like affiliate deals. It wouldn't have been anything on a company wide scale. I mean, I honestly, do you listen to any Patreon podcasts or subscribe to any? I have one. It was a show I actually hosted on my channel this year. They just started a Patreon. So shout out to the Challenge Chronicles, which recaps the show The Challenge and talks, the, the about, challenge. And talks about The Challenge. So my buddy Rob McIntyre, who comes on my show, he's one of the hosts with two other guys, Trace and Devin. I, I like their show, but they they sent me like their Patreon, like they're like, hey, thanks for helping us out. You, you can have a free membership. I was like, okay. So it, it's kind of cool though, but like I don't jump into the discords or anything like that. And there's a couple shows that I like that have Patreons, including yours. Uh, like I listen to The Greatest Generation. They have one as well with like hidden episodes. I just, I, I never got into it. Like I feel, and for someone who listens to as many podcasts as I do, you think that would be a really easy leap for me. It's just, I never felt the need to go do it. So I, I mean, and that's not even the relevant part, but I would be, what would be your hook to, to put something from your show behind the paywall to generate more revenue? Because in my experience, I actually think you would be uniquely set up to having a Patreon do well. A lot of the Patreons that do very well are not uh, content-based, but they're personality-based. So I think like, you know, I mean, how many Twitter followers do you have? Like 80,000, 100,000? I don't even, a lot, a lot oh, of Twitter followers, oh, I, right? I, I wish I had 80 or 100,000. No, I'm like 60. But either way, okay. I, I do, We like, I played around with the idea of making Cuss Corner, like we'd film a whole bunch of Cuss Corners and make those like premium Pat Mayo experience products that people really love Cuss Corner. It's something they would pay like three bucks per episode for. People have told me that they would pay for it, but I don't know, like... I think it would be a good way to generate revenue, but at the same time, like that, those are shows that I love to do, that everyone loves to do. There's a very niche 
a larger than a niche, but some people really love Cuss Corner. And they and that's a completely personality-driven show, obviously. There's no analysis in it whatsoever. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I would want to do that. I did have an idea for a new show that's not sports-related that I was thinking about basically making it like a weekly that it would come out once a week, but we'd film like the first 30 episodes or so before the release date that you could just listen to it week by week or every time that we actually record and produce a new episode and we'd have the first 30 in the bank, that that would be a part of the Patreon. Like you could just get basically 30 episodes ahead of everyone. So that is a really successful model too. I, I actually subscribe to a show like that where immediately when you, you subscribe to it, you get weekly shows and you also get a giant backlog of a, of, a, of a catalog that you don't have access to on any free feed, actually. So I think that's a I think that's a good model. I mean, really, in general, though, I feel like the the paying for podcast model is like there's there's still an evolution yet to come to it. And I believe at the most recent Apple, you know, whatever symposium or whatever they call it, they they did un, they like showed that they have plans. To, to generate subscription dollars for podcasts, you know, monetizing podcasts, which, you know, I, I think probably is like good. Like, I think that podcasts should be monetized. If there's a seamless way that you can be able to do it, I would like that because I've looked into a few different things. Like I'm with Anchor as my hosting platform right now, and there's a monetization element to it i can't take advantage of it because it's not available in canada it's only available in the u.s and they'll sell ads for you and kind of insert them or you can get like a host read and dynamically insert them into episodes but i was also looking at like spreaker which i know a lot of people use but they put in like nine fucking ads per episode like i don't want i've used that i don't want that so we use for for the podcast that i host we use omni studio and you can insert as many as you want and uh, I just do, I do a pre-roll and a post-roll. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, I don't know exactly how it works after that. Cause I'm not the one uh, foot, footing the bill for it. Cause it's a whole podcast network, but I would maybe, I would maybe look into them. Maybe that is available to you in Canada. And that's a more, maybe a more equitable way for you to get advertising done without having to spend so much time setting it up. Well, I do work with a firm now called uh, Gumball. So I give them my, like my listenership and they send out like, and that's where like my magic spoon stuff comes from. And like, if you hear an ad in my show, which you might hear right now, I was scoping around on deal-dot.com the other day because I've heard that people have saved big money there. And I tell you what I saw, I almost couldn't believe they had auctions on a crazy wide variety of quality products and people were winning them at truly shocking prices. So Here's the question. How much can you save at DealDash.com? Well, that's completely up to you. Some people save 80%. Some people save 90%. Some people save 99%. Really, the only way to find out how much you can save is to visit DealDash.com today and use promo code MAYO. That's DealDash.com, promo code M-A-Y-O, in case you can't spell, to see how much you can save deal dash where deals come true welcome to stock x the only live marketplace for what's now and next whether it's the latest sneakers apparel electronics collectibles or trading cards everything on stock x is brand new and 100 verified authentic with stock x you 
have the power to shop millions of hard-to-find or sold-out products at their true market value. Discover products that are on trend and ahead of the trends by shopping on StockX. Download the app or sign up online to start buying and selling in a few easy clicks. Start shopping at StockX.com. Access the now. So when you hear that ad, those are ones that are bought for the week. So there's like a set price per week that people can buy out for the year. And I only sell like two per week uh, as a mid-roll to make it go. So that's like pretty steady income uh, to keep it going. It's, it wouldn't be enough to sustain the show, but it's, it's, it's not bad. It's a nice add-on in that sense. But then I do like third party, like people will approach me about ads. Then I have to set rates. Then I really need to think about it. Then I feel like an idiot because I've you know, I've asked for too much, then they don't want it. Or I asked for way too little. And they're like, yeah, we'll take 20. I'm like, oh, fuck. 20, yeah. right? It's like, uh, th- I, th- this probably wasn't the best use of my time doing this. And then having to remember to do it, continue on the schedule. Like having not necessarily a business manager, but someone to like keep track of all, just keep track of all that stuff. Like, hey, when am I shooting today? How many ads go into this show? That kind of stuff uh, would be neat. But there is something new that hopefully I can generate a bit of revenue from. Did you see that I launch a new site with Justin Freeman. Yes. Yeah. And I, I really, I really like Justin Freeman. Uh, I think he is, uh, I think he's a really cool dude. I like, I like his work. How did, uh, how did that come about? How did you decide to, to end up uh, going there? Well, if people want to go and check out runthesims.com, it's completely free right now. Uh, like the optimizer and things like that are still set to week one of last year because we don't have pricing or anything like that. But it gives you a sense right. of how fast it can be. Uh, I have been talking to Justin, just he had all these ideas for tools. And I was like, hey, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be like a fantasy national, but for football. Like, you know, yep. I, I mean, if people want to go to ftndaily.com and use code Mayo, you get such great content up there and people who like are good and will give you picks if that's what you want. And that's not what this site has whatsoever. It's a tool site for people who like, listen, I I like projections. I can't make my own projections, but on run the Sims, you go to the projection page, team by team, player by player. Uh, Once you like, you can sign up for like, just put in your email, you get an account, then you can save all your work that you want to do. And it will affect all the projections down the board. Like, oh, I don't like that baseline for Lamar Jackson in terms of market rushing share. I want to up that by six. And then you type in up by six kind of thing, like add six to it. Then it changes the projection. Then you can save it and you can go team by team and save it that way. If you want to do season long, like that was really helpful for me because I'm not good at Excel for one thing. And I don't really know what I'm doing. This just makes it so easy, but it still puts the onus on the person using it. Like all the tools are there, all the stuff that you hear pros talk about. They have these proprietary tools and stuff like that. Uh, now you can use them and you can customize them any way you want. Like we're going to have like the biggest hook was like Justin, when he came on my channel last year, was running these simulations for showdowns. He'd run like 10,000 simulations of every showdown game and you get like plotting for it. So that's going to be a tool that's available on our site for every game that you can use to fuel the optimizer if you want, or if you just want to see single game or prop betting, that kind of thing, like where the distributions actually lie. And you'll be able to change the inputs. Like they're basically set on Vegas lines and a bit of the stuff that Justin puts into it. But like, I don't know, if you have a random game week one and like the Titans are favored by three, but you really think they should be favored by like nine because you really think that they're going to blow them out. Well, then you just adjust it and then it will change what the simulations tell you. Like having that customizable element is 
I think so huge. That's why people really like Fantasy National. Like it, it's it's everything in one place that you can use and you get to control what it tells you. You want to look for something specifically? You can do that. You want to be able to run your own projections? You can do that. So I, I just thought it was a really nice fit for me because, you know, I have affiliations with content sites, but this is a tool site only. Like there's no one on that site telling you what to do. You get to do the input yourself. And I, I think that there's cachet to that and that people will like it a lot. So that that's why I hooked up with Justin on it. Yeah, I mean, that is what, uh, I mean, that is the right way to play Showdown, like uh, using using simulations and having customizable stuff because the the secret about Showdown is that it's not about like picking the best plays, right? It's, it's about leveraging ownership uh, and it's about the correlations that you're able to generate and it's about generating unique lineups, which is, I mean, that, that is, you know, what we do at, at Daily Roto is like, you know, we have the same thing where you can, you can adjust everything. And then we have the, we have the simulations in there. Um, I, I'm curious, I'm curious your opinion on this, actually, we can, we can talk about, uh, we can talk about football here for a little bit. Are, are you, do you give a shit about best ball at all? Is Pat Mayo grinding best ball drafts? Or are you just fucking over it? I mean, I, I never got into it, so I can't even be over it. Like, it just, I have no interest in it whatsoever. Like, it's just, it's not my bag. I have things to do in July. Like, I can bet on golf. Like, it's not, I don't, yeah. I, I don't need to fill the void in my life by playing 12 best ball drafts a day. I get why it's fun. Like, drafting is the most fun part you can have in fantasy football, regardless of the style that you play in. So I, I get the cachet of it, and I'll do a few as we go along, but like, I have an aversion to best ball mainly because I think it's such a terrible crutch for people who do content and they can yeah. basically justify anything that they want. It's like, well, well, it's a good best ball pick. It's like, fuck sure. So is everyone like, thanks. Thanks for your analysis. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a, it takes a lot more stones to fade someone, you know, all, all the way across in, in, uh, in best ball, which is like, there are like a couple guys that, you know, I literally have, have not selected any of across all of these drafts. But I, I think it's the reason why I asked is this is the most I have ever seen people into best ball. This is the most my timeline has ever been talking about best ball. This is the most podcasts that I listen to have been talking about best ball. This is just like the most engaged I have ever seen any, like the, the, the people I interact with online. This is the most engaged I have ever seen them in best ball. So I wondered if any of that had floated over to you. No, I, I know people who are really big into it, even in my real life. So it's it's not just necessarily a Twitter echo chamber, but it might be at the same time. Also on the new site, like it's not just showdown, by the way. It's going to be like a full slate optimizer. You can project sure. all the games out. So it's going to be season long, daily fantasy and uh, and. Betting. Uh, so all three, you'll have tools for that. So again, it's runthesims.com. And here's, here's the, here's the rub code Mayo right now gets you $50 off the tracker and all of the tools. And you get that price locked in for 199 bucks for life. Um, so you probably want, life. you want to do that before July 31st, but the site and all the, uh, all the season long fantasy football stuff and all the stats and the projections and stuff like that is going to be free all year long. Like we're not going to charge for season long. Hey, there we go. That, that, uh, that by the way, is like a, a model that I think works because we don't charge for any of my season long stuff either, like projections or rankings or anything. Um, and I, I think that is, I think that is a model that, that works that you get people in through there and then you, you sell them 
other things or you generate uh, dollars via advertising revenue or, or via tools. I mean, because tools are what is ends up being the most helpful for people. Oh, for sure. And that way, if people do, like you don't need to pay for an optimizer or you know, betting tools if you're playing in literally like a $50 season long fantasy league, like why would that person ever pay a subscription for something? And that's most people out there. Not necessarily most people listening to this show or your show, uh, because you know, we're in this space and you know, we talk about draftings, we talk about sports betting. We got, we got a lot of DGENs and people who like to spend money in our lives, which is great. The advertisers right. love that, but that's not the majority of people who are playing. And I feel like those people get forgotten about a little bit within the industry because people are taking on big gambling sponsors and talking about gambling. Like when I release my uh, golf betting cheat sheet for the week, like I got a lot of money in play uh, on a regular golf week. Most people don't want to put that much money in play. Now you can scale it because I'm giving away free picks and you want to bet a dollar on someone, two bucks on someone instead of like 25, 50, 75 bucks on players. Like that's pretty easy to manage. But when it comes to DraftKings, like no one wants to buy a $200 package if they're playing like the 25 cent tournaments. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the total number of people who have like, you know, all that, all that action out, you're right, is it, it is limited. And our perspective also is skewed because, you know, everyone, everyone we know is kind of up that market of people who use their disposable income on fantasy sports stuff, though, uh, to circle back to the best ball point, this is the first time that my real life friends, like my, my buddies that I know in real life are like, taking best ball drafts super seriously, like getting onto underdog, getting onto DK and like doing these drafts and being like really hyped about it. And, and, and early into it in, in July, which is uh, I, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is particularly about this summer. That's driving it. I assume it's the amount of money that underdog is spending. <laughs> I, it, I, I think that that can't hurt. Like I, I would imagine that it can't hurt, but I mean, you know, I got to, I, I, that's gotta be it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably right. And the fact that they're pumping out content and having all these guys on their, on their shows and everything you're, that's gotta be right. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think they've done a really savvy move. Like, I mean, obviously so Dra- good. like DraftKings has gone, like they went after me five years ago after their huge marketing blitz. And they spent like $30 million a month during football season. So did FanDuel. I, they shifted their, I mean, they're still advertising, obviously. They have these partnership deals, but they've shifted like the, that, that part of their advertising budget to people like me. Uh, and on a much larger extent, like the deal that Levitar just did with DraftKings, essentially yeah. they, they, worked, they worked through the blueprint of his deal with my deal. Like that's essentially the same deal. It's just his is worth, I don't know, a hundred times more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like when I think of like Dan Levitard, it's like, you know, Dan Levitard and Pat Mayo, like, you know, these are like the biggest names in in sports media. I mean, what a what a coup, what a coup for DraftKings to to get Levitard on board. I I completely agree. Now, you have to start being able to like people associate me with DraftKings. Like that's why they like having me around. Like when they hear me talk about golf, I'm talking about DraftKings golf. I'm talking about DraftKings right. football. I'm talking about DraftKings UFC. I'm telling people to put uh, bet at DraftKings Sportsbook. Like, you know, that's a part of my job when they're paying, you know, being the title sponsor of the show. But that's what I was doing anyway. You know what I mean? Like, when I was at Fantasy, I never did FanDuel stuff ever. I always did DraftKings stuff. So it was a really natural fit. Uh, I'm curious to see, like, in a year's time if 
DraftKings and Dan Levitard become synonymous with each other because that's with each other. That, that's really going to be the key for that deal to be worth it. Like Dan Levitard can do a read on a show and be like, "Hey, go to DraftKings Sportsbook, use code Dan, get a promo match." Like that's one thing. But if they're if it becomes a part of the content itself, then I think it's a different story. Like then people will naturally and organically go sign up for this stuff. So I think that the challenge of turning Levitard into being synonymous with DK is a lot more difficult than it would be for having you be synonymous with DraftKings because before the UIGEA repeal, Levitard could have given a shit about sports betting. Like he wasn't even like the Bill Simmons style ESPN personality where he would just, you know, mention futures odds or betting on games or whatever. Like I, I used to listen to the Levitard show via podcast all the time for years and years. And I don't ever remember them talking about sports betting ever. But that could have, I mean, I don't remember it either, but that could have been a product of them being told not to talk about it. Too. Not to. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and I do think that the show itself, while already one of the best shows out there, has the chance to get really good without the restrictions of being ESPN related. I mean, yeah, I think that Levitard is the best TV audio sports content person that there is. Like he, he is the best mass media sports content creator in existence. I think he, he does, uh, you know, his discussions of sports and, and the larger cultural implications of sports in like, the best way. Like, I don't even think there's a close second. So that is, you know, that my opinion of Levitard is feeding this deal. But I, I do think that synonymizing Levitard with DraftKings is really difficult. And I don't, I don't even know, like if you were, if you were one of Levitard's um, like, uh, I, I don't producers, I guess, like how would you strategize making those two things uh, cohesive? I'm trying to figure this out right now because prize picks is going to be sponsoring the new uh, fantasy football show. And I really want to give them a good push as they're coming on as the title sponsor of this. And, and they understand that we're going to talk about season long fantasy football on that show and DraftKings football, daily fantasy. Um, I mean, that's just a part of it. Like if it was just a prize pick show, I don't know how many people would watch it because people need to become more familiar with prize picks. If you use code MMN, your Mayo Media Network, by the way, you get a bonus deposit at prize pick. So you might want to check that out. Uh, but I, I think that I'm trying to figure out a way to get the host to incorporate it like if we're going through the injury report let's say and i'll bring up prize picks they'll have like their their over-unders for the week that you can play together and i think that part's really fun too is that it, it's fantasy but it's you know it's like prop fantasy like it's right. sim- it's simple to figure out like once they got away from going over or under this many fantasy points and it's like will patrick mahomes go over 295.5 yards do you think that's over or under like that's really simple to figure out um so I think that you can frame discussions in the way of that. Like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is hurt this week. Let's see what Chad Chad Henney's over-under passing yards prize picks is. And then bring up prize picks onto the screen. And eventually that becomes organic. Like, hey, let's go see what his prop is and use that as the frame of the conversation. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that, you know, if I was if I was setting up that show, you could even you could even kind of make it like a, a combo. DFS show of like, oh, you know, if this guy is likely to go over, this is a good spot in DFS. If this guy is likely to go under, bad spot, and like, you know, talk about the correlations and the stacks from there. Or, 
or, you know, something like that. Like, I, I think that would work or is that not in the spirit of what you're wanting? No, I, I think that would work out really well. Like, can you correlate, are there props on the site to correlate together, over-unders to correlate together in the same game type of thing and just, you know, try to amplify what your prize picks total is going to be. But I was more thinking of like, how do I in- integrate it with the waiver wire, for example? Like, oh, here's the hot waiver wire pickup week two. Everyone's rushing out to get this guy. What's his prize pick for the week as well? Like, can that inform us to where, you know, a site is that you can wager money on and play fantasy in terms of prize picks, where do they value them at? Like, is it really low? Is it really high? Like, you would assume the higher the number is, the better the pickup is going to be. And at least try to find a way to merge whatever the product is going to be with the news. And I think that would be the Levitard thing with DraftKings, where, well, what's the news topic of the day that they're talking about? That the sprinter got caught smoking weed? Well, that's going to be a tough one to integrate into DraftKings. But is there something that when a news story comes up, is there a way to be like, hey, on DraftKings Sportsbook, like this and this kind of thing? Like, hey, let's go. Can, Can the odds tell us anything? And just make that a part of the story, too, if you're talking about actual sports. So that's good. And then, you know, obviously any preview of any preview of the Super Bowl, any preview of a Wimbledon final, anytime they're talking about golf, you know, uh, I think using the the odds on DraftKings. I, I, and then I wonder, you know, there also is probably some like insane, uh, like, you know, they could set up like a Stugatz challenge where like Stugatz has like $10,000 and he has to wager it all on different props on the DK Sportsbook over a week. Like there, there's some... With someone like Stu Gatz, who has no dignity, you can just set up anything. Like, you can just do all sorts of wild stuff. You know what they need to do? They need to do some sort of gimmick where DraftKings posts odds. Like, remember during the pandemic when we had all these gimmicks? We had the match. We had the Bales push-up challenge. We had, like, all this stuff. They need to do They need to do a, a Levitard show gimmick where you can wager on something with the Levitard show on the DK Sportsbook. That's a really savvy move. I mean, my, my request to like, hey, uh, Stu Gotts and Cust should do stuff together, <laughs> which, yes. w- which would be amazing. But I were act- that, that, that's actually something I was thinking about with prize picks, like to engage both, you know, I, I, their biggest thing right now is the same thing that Underdog was kind of dealing with. And it seems like Underdog got this huge investment, so they're spending it all on marketing and they're spending it the right way, uh, at least with prize picks coming on to Mayo Media Network. And we're going to create this show around them. Like, let's have a season long props contest, like almost like the super contest, but you have to make like five prize picks a week. And at the end of the year, like there's a grand total. We can do it for, and we can do two separate contests. We can do one for, because they're offering preseason over unders right now that you have to pick 25 preseason over-unders and then as much money in the pot gets split up like for first for second like that kind of thing i think it's, it's it'd be a lot like a one and done or a super contest style thing then you could run one week to week as well and like i can play in it you can play in it the viewers can play in it and at least it gives it some semblance of oh, a competitive like fun type of thing you know what i mean yeah, I, I love that idea. And and actually here while we're brainstorming, this is how about how about this idea for for the Mayo Media Network? How about you run a contest like running the one and done or whatever where people have to it's it's like a fantasy it's like a fantasy contest of season long props where like you you get, you know, obviously you would be greater rewarded for hitting a 25 to 1 than a 4 to 1 or whatever. Like that, like that, that whole idea of a contest, like the hybridization of sports betting and um, hybridization of, of sports betting 
and fantasy. I, I think that's super, super smart. I, I wonder about the legal, like state legality of stuff like that, though. Like, does that now? Probably, ven- yeah, probably very gray at best. Does that does that now venture into too much of just straight up betting? rather than being fantasy. Like if you can pilot in terms of a league and you do like props, like uh, Moose and I were trying to think of something to do for football, like the one and done. And the best thing we could come up with where you had to pick one quarterback every week and you got their yardage totals. It was like a one and done with quarterbacks. And whoever had the most yards at the end of the year won. I was like, I don't even know if I would play in that. So let's scrap that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I, I, I assume that someone has to be, working on someone's got to be working on this game or, or 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 would have a way to implement it but that sounds like an extremely fun game like that even sounds to me like maybe more fun than my actual season long like manage leagues yeah and i think that's something that we're gonna like i'm talking to prize picks and that's what we want to do for the show we're gonna run this like contest that's in the preseason you're obligated to make x amount of prize picks so over under on yardage for all these players and then that gets banked for the season and then run another contest starting week one where you have to pick like six a week or something like that and whoever has the most right at the end of the year wins and it would be run like a one and done like just look at the standings who's at the very top who's at the very bottom you know top 50 pay or something like that and, I, and if enough people play like i don't think you can guarantee prize pools for that so it would have to be like a, a percentage of the money that would go in but i would want it to be flat like the pat mayo experience one where you know if you can get two thousand people to sign up for something like that it costs a hundred bucks to play all year well you know, all of a sudden you're dealing with two hundred thousand bucks in the prize pool it's not chump change by any means like we got 3300 to sign up for the one and done this year that was 100 bucks a pop and i think it's like 50k for first place like i think people are happy with the if they win the the season long one and done which literally takes four seconds to play every week you win you right. have your picks you win 50k it's not no actually i think it's 30k because we want the flat payouts so like second third fourth fifth and six all like pay pretty well into five figures i think as well that, that was sort of a mandate that I had. I was like, I don't want a guy to come sixth and feel like he got chumped out of money. I'd rather, like, it's hard enough to come in sixth. It's just as hard to come in sixth as it is to come in first, essentially. So I don't want that guy to get ripped off. Yet. Right. Man, I cannot believe how bad I've been in one and done this year. I'm awful. So bad. I got away from my strategy after three weeks. And then I just, like, I, I know the strategy. I know how to do this. And for whatever reason... I just can't follow through on it. It's like that, uh, the, the video I posted, uh, I shared with you about my new golf swing. Like there's like, like that was a, a lesson that I was at. And the guy, like, I keep my head down forever on that one. He's like, don't worry about where the ball is going. Like just focus on this. Like un- when you completely like reinvent your swing, like I have a new grip, I have a new swing plane, I have new clubs. Like it's all just so awkward. So the swing looks really stiff because it is, but I'm trying to focus on like the two or three elements. Like my slice was so out of control. Like I I had to stop doing it. And like, sometimes you just need to kind of focus in on that. The the commentary from the Twitter gallery, I probably shouldn't have posted it on Twitter, but just like, yeah, it's really stiff. It's like, yeah, of course it's really stiff. It's a new fucking swing. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never, never post, uh, never post anything on Twitter. Literally, literally never post anything from your life on Twitter because it's just, it's never going to, I posted a picture of my uh, three-legged amputee dog who had just gotten, who had just gotten a surgery and someone commented about my lawn having like weeds in it or something. And I'm just like, never post anything. It's not this person's fault. It's never the asshole's fault 
on Twitter, you just should know better than to post things on Twitter. I, I would assume you would have learned that by now, Pat. I would. And I rarely, I so rarely post, but I was just, I was so happy that I wasn't slicing the ball anymore. It's like, I wanted to share it with Travis Fulton, who's a golf coach. So I shared it with him uh, and just, I should have just sent it in a DM to him, but just like people nitpicking the swing. It's like, it's a brand new fucking swing. Like you have no idea how jazzed I am that the ball doesn't go 50 yards into the woods right anymore. Like I was so pumped. <laughs> I mean, it, when you when you consistently are able to eliminate your slice, it's like one of the best feelings. Um, I, I have I have I worked the slice out of my game for about six months, and now I now I'm fight now I'm big time fighting it again. Golf, it is a it is miserable, man. The uh, the your your body's memory for the swing it really goes if you don't like, I mean, I barely have practiced or played for like the last five months or so. And it is, it is unbelievable how much worse I've gotten compared to what my baseline was. And the whole point of it is like, it's the consistency part of it. And that's where I, I got thrown off in the one and done that I just wasn't consistent with the strategy that I had because I got, I didn't hit a winner like the first three weeks. I was like, Oh fuck, I'm so far behind. When in reality I wasn't, and I should have stuck to what the game plan was instead of taking absolute like Jamokes at the very bottom of the list who got zero, zero dollars every single week. But in terms of the golf swing, like the reason that it looks stiff and that I keep my head down the entire time, like I'm focused on my grip to make sure that my grip is right. And like a brand new grip, just when you're used to holding the club one way for 20 years and now you hold it a completely different way, it just feels so weird. So I'm really focusing on making sure that that's right and engaging my hips first and making sure I don't go back too far, like keeping it at 90 degrees when I'm at the top. And then instead of coming out with my hands, bringing my hands down into the swing and then rotating my hits up and like popping up when I come through it. So that's really like, those were the five key things that I was just really trying to change about everything. So the rest of it, like I'm not too concerned about as of yet, but like, as you said, like my, my takeaway is like good now, like before it was so shit. Dude, it's so good. Yeah. You, I mean, that, that is my, my takeaway is very fast. So I have a hard time keeping my left arm straight which is, you know, again, you know, 20 handicapper chunkers like me have a really hard time doing that. But yours is yours is exactly what you want. Yeah. And I, I like the people giving me like the, the feedback, like, oh, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. Like, I don't know who you are. Like, you probably also suck at golf. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, nothing a, uh, a 15 handicapper likes to do more than tell 18 handicappers what they should be doing differently. Like, I, th that is actually... I, I, that is actually one thing that does make me mad about Twitter is that lots of lot. I mean, everything makes me mad, but lots of, lots of people on Twitter will tell you that you suck at golf when they also suck at golf. Yeah. I have no pretensions of being good. Like I am a 20 handicapper. I'm trying to become like a 12 handicapper. Like that'd be such a big improvement for me. And I, and I know where it's all stemming from. Like I'm good, but I can't drive the ball. If I could figure out how to drive the ball, like my ball striking's good, the chipping's pretty good, the putting's good. Like that's the off the tee game has just been holding me back for so long. And since I moved, I'm actually playing golf again. So I I want to get better now that I'm doing it a lot. When I was playing like three times a year, I really didn't give a shit because like, whatever. Like I went out, I hacked the ball around. I smoked a few cigarettes, had a few beer. I had a good time. It didn't really matter. Um, not that I'm not doing all that stuff, but I'm just playing once a week or one, one and a half times a week. And I really, Cust and I have a season long wager on the go. I definitely don't want to lose that. So taking a lesson and revamping everything and just unteaching yourself what you've been doing for decades is just, it's I can see why Spieth had all those problems. And then it finally clicked for him. He's like, Oh, okay. Like now I'm good again. 
Well, yeah, and that's the, I mean, that's the really weird thing about golf is sometimes it gave bit like relatively simple fixes, relatively simple swing drills, relatively simple mental exercises can get you where you need to go because the, the act of swinging a golf club is not actually that difficult if you are like close to doing it right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, like you, you're just going and hitting a ball with a club and, and there's a lot of minutia inside of that. But if you are like, if the tempo's right and you are, the ball is making good contact, like you can fix it in like a day. Yeah. I need a little bit more time to fix mine, but at the same time. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, for me to get where I am at now to like a 10 handicapper would be working every day for like a year, probably. Yeah. So I, I've been doing. I mean, I've now passed lesson four, so just very slow, slow stuff. I ended up getting six lessons. I had never taken a lesson in my life, which is something, as we were talking about before, like something that I always like, yeah, I should really go do this. It, I know it will make me better and just never did it. So I was like, I, I got some time during the afternoon right now. Like, I want to get better. I'm tired of being like the same as I've been for the past 15 years in terms of skill like i'm just not improving like i i can't figure it out i need someone to tell me what i'm doing wrong uh even when i posted the video i tagged travis in it like i care what he has to say he is a golf coach um so i i would be i would love to hear what he has to say about like the fluidity which is not great right now but like am i opening my hips right am i coming through it properly like what am i now doing wrong from here where i can improve uh, but yeah, I don't really give a shit what like random Twitter guy who who has an egg avatar has to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean you you can't you can't listen to you can't listen and, and also even people who are good at golf like like some people who are good at golf are still assholes and you like engaging with assholes online is is never it's never going to be uh, plus expected value you know what I mean I don't know some sometimes it can be really to your benefit if you have fun with it. Oh, I mean, yeah, like there are every once in a while it is, it is, I mean, clearly like I, I've gotten a lot better about engaging with, uh, with idiots online, but I, every once in a while it is kind of fun. What else do we got here? I think Spieth's going to win the British Open, by the way. You think Spieth's going to win the British Open? What's he, what's he, uh, what's he priced at right now? Fuck, like 14 to one or something. I saw that Bryson was 20 to one and that felt low to me based on how good he is when he's good. But also Bryson could be like 13 over par on the eighth hole. Like both things would make sense to me. Yeah, I have no like I haven't really dug in. I'm doing my my research tonight and I'm recording the show with Raza, like the DraftKings pick show late on Friday evening for release on Saturday. So I'm going to have a bit more information. But just like when I when I go into it, I think about it like in the back of my mind, I thought that Westwood was going to win for a really long time. And he actually showed up at the Scottish Open and played really well in round one. Um, I, I just, there's been two, four winners of the Open Championship ranked outside the top 100 in the world. And two of them have come at this course. Uh, Darren Clark and Todd Hamilton, the last two times it's been here. Like, I just watched the final round last night from Royal St. George's when like the, the weather couldn't have been worse. And Phil was playing great uh, the year that Darren Clark won. Uh, Phil was five under through eight holes or something crazy like that. Like there's one drivable par four. There's a really eagleable par five, number five and number seven. And then it doesn't look like it should be a hard course whatsoever. And guys just fucking blow up everywhere. And it feels like an old man is going to win. And I feel like that could be what, or Poulter maybe like one of these old Brits, I think, I think is real live. 
And I think that's, yeah, and, I mean, and, 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 and in my mind, Spieth has the same game as those guys. So he's live too. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember when's the last time they played this course. 2011. Okay. So I would have, I would have not, I mean, I would not have been gambling back then. So I, I don't have, I don't have a great feel. I don't have a great feel for this course. I just, what the thing I was thinking of with, with Bryson is, you know, Lynx golf, there's no trees, there's not a ton of water. So it's just like, he can miss and it is kind of fine. So like he can, he can hit 380 yard misses or whatever. Yeah. But you get yourself into such shit. If you're not on the fairway, like the fescue is out of control is like, insane. Yeah. And, and it's not like us open rough. Like you can just be in like Bryson can get it out of the us open rough. Like that's not an issue, but yeah. if you're in the fescue, like it, the shit might be wrapped around your ball and you can't move it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't sound great. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I really enjoy the British open. Like it tends to be my favorite, uh, it tends to be my favorite tournament to, to watch, but I, I don't have, I don't have a good feel for, for betting this one. Maybe, I, I mean, I can't, I don't think I can bet speed. Maybe he's 18 to one where I'm looking right now. I don't all know. All right. That's not bad. Like I, I just, I'm trying to think about how I'm structuring my card. Like I have a, I have a future on Keimer who just got into the field. Thank God. He's 150 to one. I have 150 to one play on Neiman from like December. But those are the only two bets that I've made. So like I'm thinking it through and just like looking at the course, there's so much undulation in the fairway on the greens. Like it's going to take a, like if Bubba wasn't so shit in Britain, it would be a really nice course for him. Cause he's so creative with a lot of his shots. And that's just how I see Spieth. Like you can be, that's true. Like you can kind of, you don't necessarily need to be in the fairway, but even if you're in the fairway, like you're going to have a downhill lie or an uphill. Lie. Like there's going to be no flat lies on the course. Like who's just kind of magic and there's no one more magic than speed with that stuff. Yeah, no one, no one is, no one is more magic than speed, but I mean, I don't like, I don't, it's so hard for me to think of him as being a major championship golfer, even though when I first was getting into golf, it felt like he was invincible. Like I, 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 if I was going to be, if I, maybe I will play some of these bets. Cause I'm looking right now, I'm looking at dudes like, like Brendan grace. Like he feels like Webb Simpson at 50 to one. He feels pretty decent. Norin at 80 to one feels decent. I don't know. There are some good numbers here right now. I think. Grace is really interesting, actually. He's having a nice Scottish as well, which is going to be like a very similar type course. Obviously, Royal St. George's is just, what, southeast of London. And, you know, obviously the Scottish Open in Scotland, not exactly the same. I think Royal St. George's is on, oh, man, I should be better with geography than this. But um, it's in, like it's basically right across from Brussels. Maybe not Brussels. It's right across it's from like Be- Belgium. Yeah, like it's right across. Like it's the, on in that part of England where it's like right on the coast. Uh, and if you looked across, it would be like Belgium, and then to the north would be the Netherlands. So, it, like, I don't know if that's exactly the English Channel or like, is it the North Sea that runs through there? I don't know if that that particular part has a different name. It might just be the English Channel, and most people just associate it with going from uh, England to France. But that might also be like kind of where it is as well. Yeah. Uh, so what is, I mean, does that mean the golf is more linksy or less linksy or what? It seems very, it looks like it's in the middle of a fucking field. <laughs> that just makes me, I like, it just makes me want to bet Bryson. Maybe so. Like I saw an article come out today. I didn't read it, but it was just like, we've never seen beefy Bryson play links golf. Like he's, he hasn't played a link style course since he went. Oh yeah. Because, because post protein shake, they haven't been over here. Exactly. So everyone's kind of curious to see how he does. 
I wonder if Zalatoris will do well here because he is uh, he's a big simulator guy. Maybe. I don't know if the simulation will like I don't know if simulators are good for British Open golf, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it, to me, very anecdotally, it feels like the exact opposite. Like, it feels like the British Open is just always good for, like, your real pure golfers, right? Like, you always have a, a one old guy who does well at the British Open. You always have your Tom Watson who randomly does well. And then, honestly, it's, it's guys who just specialize in keeping it in play. Keeping it in play and can scramble from basically anywhere. Anywhere. Like, like, yeah. like even the year that Molinari won, like him getting it up and down from like the weirdest lies on like on the downslope of a hill because it's caught in a little bit of dirt, like and not being afraid to put it to seven feet and have to make that putt. Because the greens generally, unless it gets baked out, like they're fescue greens. They're just really short fescue. Like I'm playing uh, Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs in two weeks which you should go Google pictures of these courses. They are fucking incredible. And I am fired up to go play them. But the greens are just mode fescue. <laughs> well, uh, they, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, on this topic, I have not played a really nice golf course in like eight months. And I really want to go play a super nice golf course. Uh, I, I, I want to play the whistling. I want to play whistling straights in Wisconsin. That is, I, but I, but I, I start thinking these things. I'm like, oh, you know, I could plan a trip. And then I'm like, wait, but I fucking suck right now. And I got to grind for a month to get better before I'd want to go play anywhere like that. Yeah. The, the one thing about the Cliffs course, or at least the Cliffs course in particular, from what I've heard, at least, like it's not a very hard course if it's benign conditions, but it's always horrible conditions. Like it's so windy. always horrible. Conditions. But, it, but, but yeah. if you get it on a day where the wind is down, like it's not very hard. Playing, playing with wind, actually, I am more comfortable with because I grew up playing in Kansas and it's always windy and shitty weather here. I grew up playing in the wind and like crappy weather as well. But like when it was like it was gusting to like 35, 40 miles per hour the other day, like I actually striped a drive. It was like one of the two good drives I hit all day. It may have went 215 into the wind. Like it was just it got knocked down immediately. And it just feels it was, amazing, though. No, it didn't. Because like, I thought like I went looking for the ball, like I drove past it on the fairway. Oh, the worst. And it was like 50 yards shorter where I thought it went. I was like, Oh, my fuck. And I was driver three iron three iron to the front of the green on like a 600 and like 608 yard hole. And I, I never felt more dejected. And like, that's where my round ended. Essentially, it's like, Oh, fuck, I'm fucked today. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh does cuss still wear two gloves not all the time uh when it's raining out for better grip he does i he he was all out of sorts so we played three warm-up matches he beat me by one in all three of our warm-up matches then we then we we made our season-long bets so we put money on the line and started keeping track from then i beat him by six the first one and i beat him by 23 strokes the second time he got it he just got a case of it, it's going bad today off the first shot and he just never recovered. Well, you know those days where you just don't have it? He had one of those days. Yeah, that uh, I've, I've had those days. I've been there, so I, I can feel I can feel for Cust in that situation. What's the what's the best score you've ever posted? Uh, the best score I've ever posted was the first time I ever played with Cust. I shot an 81. 81? Yeah, my best I've ever done on a, on a legit course, like a legit, legit course, was 86 playing from the whites which felt amazing uh with a couple with a couple birdies but that was that was 
three years ago when I was not working as much and could pretty much golf every single day. Yeah. 84 is my best one this year. And I followed up my 84 at that course with 109 the next time I was there. So that's the state of my game right now. Look, I, I've I've been there. Did we did we have anything else that uh, that we we had here? We we actually did come up with a list of things we wanted to talk about. I, that might be it. I think my grand my my kids oh. great great grandparents are getting here soon, so I should probably go up and talk to them because you know they're old. They go to sleep around this time. But you amazing. Want, you, uh, you wanted to talk about the vaccine rollout. Well, yeah, you are. You have joined. You have joined us. You are. You are now a member of the vaccine gang. Yeah, I got my second vax on Saturday, and fuck, man, it wiped me out on Sunday. It was it was tough going for old Pat Mayo. Even when I woke up on Monday morning, like I was still so like body sore, like all my muscles felt really tense. Then I took a Motrin, took a half hour nap. I woke up and felt absolutely fine, and I felt fine ever since. But as I was shocked because the first one didn't do anything, like I, I barely felt it and then the second one really wiped me out i've heard it's the opposite for a lot of people though where like the first one gives them like 24 hours of being like uh, and then the second one they're fine i was the opposite yeah uh first one yeah first one i was fine second one i was i was dead and uh you know real interesting thing hospitals in the state where i live are filling full up with covid patients again because we are uh Missouri is the number 50 state in terms of percentage of adults with at least one, uh, one vaccine shot. We are, we are the lowest vaccinated state per person in the United States. Well, I, I, we actually have to thank the United States a lot because the biggest problem in Canada at the outset was we just didn't have access to vaccines because we don't produce them here. Like they're being produced in the States and we weren't going to buy them from China. Uh, so like we were, we had to buy them from the U S but then the U S just had too many. And in the states that were closest to us, like the, the upper Northwest, be it New York or Massachusetts or Maine or Connecticut, like everyone got vaxxed right away. Then they had too much. They're like, here, ha- have some vaccines. And there seems to be a lot less vaccine hesitancy here. And even if there is, there's something I, I think it's I think a lot of it is cultural, too. And like we've talked about this before. And, you know, when you go from place to place in Canada, it's really different. Like if you're on the West coast versus the East coast versus being in Ontario, Quebec is just a complete outlier in terms of culture, but everyone really fancies themselves a Canadian very much in the same way. So there was sort of like a community, even like, Hey, I don't really want to do this, but if it's for the greater good, I'm going to take that risk anyway, where it seems in the States, like people's definition of being an American is two separate things. And people work towards two separate goals of what that really means. And it seems like there's like a political divide where there are people who like are your anti-vaxxers here and are vocal about it. But by and large, COVID and the COVID vaccines have not really been a political issue here as I, as like being an outsider looking into the States, as it seems there. Yeah, I, that is, that is kind of the sense that I get as well. Not, not only just in the United States, but in, uh, in like, so for the United States, it's very politicized. And then in Canada and in Europe, I get the sense that it is not like that, like, uh, that even people who were anti-lockdown and like, you know, personal liberty and no masks and stuff, but it, it feels like the no mask, personal liberty people are, are still wanting to get the vaccine in Canada and in Europe, which is not the case here in the United States. Yeah, which I found really weird. You think you'd want to get the vaccines because, you know, then you wouldn't have to wear the masks anymore. <laughs> right. But the, the vaccine, I, I mean, I don't know, like by and large, I don't 
I don't really no argument that anyone has made for me to to say that people shouldn't get the vaccine has made um, none of it has made any sense. Like I just it, it it all feels it all feels like a like big brain syndrome basically. The one thing like I, I know someone who who is not getting it. And not because they're, they just don't like, they're like, I don't know what it is and I don't want to put it in my body, which is a pretty valid argument. Like, I, I understand that point of view completely. But most people are just like, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. I'm just going to do it. It seems to be working. Let's kind of roll with it. And some people don't want to make that leap. But the person who's doing it has put the most ridiculous things into his body throughout the course of his life. I was like, this is the thing that you're scared of? Not everything else not not the mind-bending drugs um you know heroin that wasn't a problem for you this is like it's just a weird for some people it's just, just such a weird hill to die on <laughs> it, it is very odd and then also you know a lot of these people look i mean if you live in the united states and you go to school like if you went to public school you got the smallpox vaccine you got um there there are like multiple vaccinations you have to get to attend public school in the United States. And, you know, you, you have lived with these vaccines for your entire life. Now, now, I mean, if we really want to go here, the COVID-19 vaccine from Moderna and Pfizer has, uh, it's a different type of vaccine. Apparently it's an mRNA vaccine, which is slightly different. And this is something that the big brains bring up, but they, they, these people could not explain what that means. These people could not explain why it's experimental or why it's different because they are not intelligent enough. They are not, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess chemical biologists would, I don't even know, but it like, clearly they are not, uh, they are not reading like the peer reviewed papers to learn these things. They're just, they're just jargoning. Yeah. Like I have no fucking idea what that means. Nor yeah, do, no, no fucking clue. No, nor do I really care. Like when the vaccine production first came out, I asked two or three of my friends who were doctors. I was like, are you guys getting this? They're like, yeah, right away. I was like, okay, good enough for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like, so they really what it is, and this is, uh, if you, any smart gambler, I would wager people who have made money gambling at their life are getting the vaccine because you're taking a calculated risk and a large percentage of it, like a huge percentage of the outcome is that nothing bad happens to you. You've received uh, protection from a pandemic that is influencing the entire world. And, and there are maybe very small tail risks that, you know, whatever all these crazy anti-vaccine people are saying that it will do to you. But like everything in life is a risk. Everything in life is a calculated uh, gamble, even if you're not aware of it. So I would assume, and that's just the way I thought about the vaccine is like, shit, yeah, maybe this will make me sick. Maybe it'll be bad, but a huge percentage of the time, it's only good for me. Yeah. And listen, I think that people get it misconstrued in your head of what this will actually do for you, too. Like, it doesn't prevent you from getting it. It just hopefully reduces the symptoms so you don't get super sick. You know what else would, has terrible symptoms? Getting COVID. <laughs> I mean, yeah, getting getting COVID. Uh, I, I knew a couple people at it and they said uh, it sucked, that it was uh, that it was brutal, you know? Yeah, well, uh, I, I, and... I, I actually have a friend who's suffering from long form COVID and she's yep. she's been like basically bedridden for like eight months like it sucks like i and it's not someone who you would think with pre-existing conditions or anything like that not someone old someone young great shape and just it hit them the wrong way and like that that's the part that sounds terrifying <laughs> i mean yeah having having a having long-term cope i mean and and by the way healthy people have getting it clearly it's worse for people who are less healthy i have been 
I've been doing my best to keep the workout stuff, go outside, so on and so forth, all those things. But it getting COVID does not sound fun. It, it to me, it does not sound like no big deal, but maybe I'm a pussy. I don't know. Oh, it might be, it, but, and it might be to some people, some people might have it and it won't affect them whatsoever. And we've seen that. And it wasn't really real to me until you know, I, I met a few people who had it. They're like, yeah, it was like a really bad flu for three days. And then I got over it. It was like, okay, like that doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. But then I met a few other people who got like really sick and like debilitatingly sick. Um, and like, then it kind of changed my perspective on it just a little bit. Like Jesus, like that, there's no, there's no real difference between this person and me when it comes to age and health and things like that. And I was like, man, I don't want to get this. Plus I don't know what like, it's like my kids could get it and they would probably be fine. Um, but I also don't want them to get it. Cause I don't know, like in 10 years time, is it going to fuck them up? I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, that that's the other thing, too. That's so that is so we, I mean, we just, you know, COVID has not been around very long. We don't uh, we don't know what the long term impacts of it are going to be like. We just we just don't know. And I guess the same thing can be said that's true of the vaccine. But I, I you know, I don't know. I again, it's calculated risk. And I know certainly there is more short term tail risk with not getting the vaccine and I mean, literally hospitals are starting to fill up where I live with people on, on freaking ventilators. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be in that spot. Like that does not sound tight to me. No, no. Uh, I think I just looked at the recent data that we had. Like I got my second, my second vax was supposed to happen in like September and it got moved up to the first week of July uh, just because they got more supplies. And now they, they really did stick to the like old people are like, they're the only ones who can get it first because we need to get it to them. Then the younger you got, but I'm looking at it right now, we're up to 84% one dose and 40% two doses. We had, like in our province and we were at like 10% two doses a week and a half ago. Like they're, they're giving out as much as they can every single day. And people are like lining up to get them. <laughs> Yeah, that is we we have uh, we have officially entered into a spot here in the United States where uh, where that's done. Like there are there is no more demand for vaccines here. Everyone who wants to get one has gotten one like there. There's no I, I don't really believe there's much more line waiting. Like it's literally just like I mean, for my second one, I literally walked into the pharmacy and said I, I'd want my second vaccine and they gave me you know, they, I showed them my card and they gave it to me. Interesting. Hmm. All right. I think isn't that's that, like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, c- compared to what, like the booking process that I had to go through to get it. And now it's so much easier to get it where I'm at. It's just, at first it was just like, Oh my God, we, I just watched the numbers in the States. Like they were like, you guys were like 50% vaxxed one dose before we got to like 10%. Now we've passed you. <laughs> You're past us. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's wild, man. All right, go go get to uh, go get to the in laws. Yeah, well, it's actually my my both my grandparents are here, so they, they oh, there we go. Both the my grandparents, my my grandmothers actually hang out with each other. They're friends, so they're that's coming, amazing. They're, yeah, they're coming over to see their great grandchildren, so it's a nice scene. Beautiful. Well, it's uh, dude. I hey, the suburbs, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, they're 15 minutes away, so so it's really nice to be able to see all of them again after having not seen my family in like a year and a half. And then I am starting to remember that one of the reasons I liked living two time zones away is that I didn't have to see these fucking people all the time. But you know, I'm I'm yep. living I'm living with that now. <laughs> it's uh, of all the things that there is to live with, that's one of the that's one that is easier to learn to live with after a while. You get used to it. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I can hermit myself and isolate myself when I move in to my new set in my new like building that I have on the go. 
uh, I can just hide out there for a while. Yeah. 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 All right, man. Well, uh, take it easy. Yeah, man. Check out runthesims.com. Make yourself an account. I want to, I actually, I'm talking to you specifically and all of the listeners out there, but I want to get your feedback on it. I will, I will create an account. I will run some Sims and I will, uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know if I have, if I have takes. All right, cool, man. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. Thank you very much, Pat. All right, man. See ya. Experience. Experience.